So Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters saying, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The word of the Lord. So if you listen to it like a child, it's not hard to understand what's going on. If you're listening to it like a, a modern YouTuber or somebody is trying to say, these are all things that are going to happen in the future, and this is the timeline, this is the kind of thing, you're going to go crazy trying to figure it out because it's not there. Um, we've had seven seals, and those are seals like on a scroll. You see something sealed and it's stamped. Um, there's a scroll with seven seals. And then we saw seven trumpets blasting, and now we have these seven bowls. And each time it, it gets worse. Um, the seals affected one quarter of the world, and the trumpets affected a third of the world. And there was a hamburger place that had the quarter pounder. So another place said, well, we're going to do the one-third pounder. But people thought that was a smaller burger, so they wouldn't go there. So be aware that a third is more than a fourth. So when the seals, they affect a fourth of the earth, the trumpet affects a third of the earth, and now the bowls are complete judgment because it's the wrath of God being poured out. So let's keep the original purpose of the book of Revelation in mind. It's a letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor. This, this entire thing is not just that little section at the beginning. This entire book of Revelation is a letter to these seven churches that represent the entire church, but there are seven real churches at a particular point in time who were in the midst of Roman persecution. And so a lot of the imagery we see is talking about Rome because that's the immediate context in which Revelation was written. But we're going to see, just like other letters in the Bible, that other things written in the Bible, that uh, they have ongoing importance for us as well. And so that's what Revelation is, not just for the seven churches, but indeed for the church complete, for us to learn from as well. Some churches were doing better than others. There was uh, persecution that was just beginning to be ramped up at the time. There was persecution that was about to become very bad. And some of the churches, they were, they were all picking up on the fact of, you know, which way the wind was blowing. And so some churches decided to be a little more culturally attuned and uh, try to just go along, get along. And they didn't want to be too 
you know, they didn't want to, you don't want to be persecuted. You, you wanted everybody to like you, so that's what they did. And they're, they're um, chastised by the Lord. One particular that stands out is um, saying, I wish you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You're, you're not good for anything. And there was another church where um, somebody had died from persecution. There's another church that was standing firm. And another church is just gone completely. And so Jesus says, I'm standing in the middle of the seven churches. And that he represents the seven churches as candlesticks and says, if you don't get your act together, I'll remove your candlestick. You might still be called a church, but if the Holy Spirit is not there, you're not a church. Um, and we need to be aware of that. Wherever you go, if it's a church, just because it's called a church, even if it's in a good denomination, I mean, sometimes there's a bad denomination with a good church stuck in it. It's a strange thing. Is the gospel being preached from the word of God? And so you have to be aware that there are churches who are at different levels, just like the seven churches were. But this book was written for the churches that they might stand strong. Or that they might say, you need to wake up. You need to realize what's going on. This is serious business. Quit what you're doing. You either, you're either have Christ as your center and the blazing light of the Holy Spirit is what is coming out of you, or you're a synagogue of Satan. So we have to, it's easy to say, well, okay, well, that church over there, you know, I think maybe it's like this. But it's always the thing to do is say, what about us? What about us because any church that's introspective can tend to say well you know I think we're doing all right if you didn't think you're doing all right you should be doing you know you'd be working on it so I mean there's always a certain unless you're just completely dissatisfied with where you are and that can possibly be but what we have to ask ourselves is how are we doing are we clinging to the gospel are we trying to rather than get involved in civilian affairs too much, are we staying involved in the work and worship of the Lord? What would he have us to do in this world? What would the Holy Spirit have his people to do infiltrating this world? What is our role? What is our job? And how are we doing at it? It's not a mystery to know. Just read his word and and be convicted by it and recognize we fall far short of the ideal. And then um, you know, reading a book, it was um, Atomic Habits. It was like the whole thing is just about if you could just change, make little tiny changes in a bunch of different areas, it adds up. So the idea if you make like a 1% change over 100 things, is that the same as 100% change? And, and they found there was some bicycle team that did this. They just started changing everything they could just a little bit. What can we just tiny changes in? And it added up. And I think they became an Olympic winning team. But um, it's just the idea of you have to make sure that you're looking at all the details and, and how are we doing. And sometimes I think we can be so caught up into maybe large-scale things and we're trying to take big grasps of things that we forget. How about just do a little bit better each time? And that's something that we can all um, try to do, clinging to the Word of God and praying to Him that we don't go off on our own. And the purpose of these things in Revelation um, isn't to get the non-believers that are being judged to wake up because they're not going to. The idea of Revelation is the church needs to wake up and be encouraged and move forward with this role of evangelism. 
Now you might say, oh, wait a minute, it, you just kind of made it sound like people aren't being saved. No, the church is being saved. There's still people that are, and this is where you got to get your the idea of election down that actually you know, is proper for whom did Christ die for, for the elect, for the church. We don't know who they are. They are the ones who will respond to the gospel eventually. We don't know who they are. We need to share the gospel with the world in such a way. I think it was Spurgeon that said we throw, cast ourselves in front of them at the gates of hell so that if they fling themselves into hell, it's over our bodies. So that we're doing all that we can to try to compel people to look to and see the beauty of Christ. To see the heinousness and ugliness of their sin in this world and to reject those things and turn to Jesus Christ. So we as a church have to also make sure that we aren't making Jesus look ugly in some way. Because we're to reflect that. And it is a very difficult thing to do. And we will do it most poorly. And so we're very thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit to be able to say what we are really living out is grace. Yes, we fall short. We are thankful and gracious. But we are not trying to be something that we're not. But I guess in a certain sense that's what we're supposed to be doing. But we're called saints in the Bible. Holy ones. Not sinners as believers. So our identity is as the holy ones of God, and we're supposed to go forth into the world knowing that we're different, we have a different gospel, we have a different way we should behave, a different way we should think, a different way that we should react. And so when we blow it, and sometimes we find ourselves being worse than the world, then we have to come clean about it and confess these things and then find the right way from where we've gone. But this revelation has been written to encourage us and to warn us that there's a lot of work to be done and that we need to stay strong and that we do not need to abandon our first love. It shows us that God is in control, that no matter how badly the church may be mistreated and attacked at different times and different places, God is in control and he cares for his church and he will judge the ungodly, the followers of the beast, those who are marked by him and, and are worshiping his institutions. That's what this is about. So we have to be careful that we are not worshiping the same idols as the world. These series of judgments are there to show how the hardships and trials of this world have purpose and they have meaning. So when the world says, I see lots of problems in the world, how it must not be a very good God or he must not be very powerful. How can a good God allow this? And it's like, how can a good God allow this to stand much longer is the question that these people will say. You may have heard it. You know, why do good thing, bad things happen to good people? And it's like, well, there are none who are good, no, not one. Why do good things happen to us at all? It's from the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ bought and purchased for us on the cross. And so when we see these things happening in the world as seals... It is God allowing the great scroll of the history of redemption to be unrolled and unfurled. And there is, a, this is a cursed world. There, there is hardship. It would be foolish to say it's not. There's, there's great, great difficulties that everyone faces. Not just the unbeliever, but the believer. But that scroll could only be unopened, could only be unfurled gradually at each step by the ascended and exalted Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So this was his work in redemption, was to be able to fulfill these things. So there will be judgment. Things will be set right. But there will also be great grace poured out as well. Sin and Satan are alive and, and well. 
and people will go from bad to worse. So there is judgment in the world, but it's all in God's good and perfect control. And it doesn't mean that everything that happens is good. It means that evil is oftentimes allowed to express itself in ways that even we as also wicked people find horrific. And if we see some things like that, imagine how a holy God sees much lesser things that we think and do ourselves on a daily basis. So there is judgment, but there is also a good God. Then we get another look at these judgments as we see something else about them, because they're not simply judgments. They're also meant to be warnings of the wrath to come and a call to the church for action. That's what the trumpets were. These things are happening. He's saying, okay, this is an unrolling of redemptive history. It's an unrolling of uh, you know, there's famine, disease, things that happen. It's because of sin. It's because of Satan. It's because of, of, of all these things. We're in a cursed and fallen world. But they're also looked at again from another perspective. They're, they're judgments that are calling people to say, you need to wake up. So that one of, some of the wake-up calls for some of the church can be, oh my goodness, look at the judgments around us. And then they do wake up. But the non-believer, those who the mark of the beast, those who um, are are condemned and are not turning to God ever, um, they only get more and more furious with him over this because, one, they don't deserve it. He's the bad guy. Um, It's it's, it's the Pharaoh thing. It's like if you've noticed through these bowls, there's an easy hearkening back to Egypt. So you see the same, the ten plagues is what's happening. Again, it's just sort of being unveiled and uh, unfurled in history today. And that's why you've got to look at this as these are symbolic ideas of what is happening in the world today as God is judging even today the ungodly. But there's going to be a time when there will be a final judgment. And when you get to these bowls, now we're beginning to see this as this is like a final judgment thing too. I mean, some people died a long time ago that read this and that experienced these things and the wrath of God was poured out on them but there's going to come a day of final judgment when the wrath of God will will finally be poured out completely and that's what we're seeing here is this idea of as the church is living in this world there is a judgment that's taking place and at some point it's going to be total and complete and so we see the judgments for what they'll finally be terrible judgments which will result in the final destruction of the ungodly and and judgment isn't just something we like isn't something we like to think about but maybe if we thought about it just a little more um, things like viruses and wars and hurricanes and evil governments wouldn't throw us off our game so quickly Um, what can man do to us and our future away from here is well it's glorious but future judgment is just as real as future glory. So that should produce at least three things in the believer. One, it should give us a great appreciation for our salvation, to see what judgment is and how bad sin is, and know that we could easily be condemned just as, as well for these, but we're not because of Christ. It should produce great joy for us. And second, there should be a greater desire for evangelism. I mean, there are people who, who need to hear the message of the Lord. I mean, you got to use the rest of the Bible when you study in Revelation, too. So what we're doing is, is we're trying to call people out of this. 
We're trying to say to people, wake up. Look, this is a trumpet call. These things you're seeing, the wrath of God is real. You ain't seen nothing yet. He's going to pour it out. What's holding him back right now is his grace and his mercy. At any moment, you can be called away from here. And then it'll either be, it'll be judgment, either in Christ or apart from Christ. And you see that sin is judged because we live in a cursed world. So we should have a greater desire for evangelism, that nobody would have to face these things. And then third, it should produce less fear and, and anxiety in our lives. That we should be able to see God's in control. Things happen. It's going to be okay for the believer. It, you just have to get through it. <laughs> you have to. It's like the thing in the car. How much further, Mama? Just a little further. Just a little further. And it's, a lot of this stuff is hard. A lot of it is difficult. That's why God doesn't put us alone in the world and say, just go do what you want to do. You mean God doesn't care whether I go to church or not? Why would he not care if you went to church? Why would he want a Christian out there by himself struggling? He'd want a Christian. You're supposed to be in a. You don't want that for your child. Your child goes. Is that what you want? You want your child to go off and to go to college and go somewhere and it's like you didn't have any. You don't have nobody. You want him. You want a family around that guy. You want him here at home still. Is what you want or her at home still. And so that's what God wants for His children. Is for us to be family, united together in church, not just gathered, but communing together and not just at his table this is what it represents but it's the reality of the holy spirit integrally connecting god's people in a way that's different than just signing a membership card somewhere it's different church is different than anything else in the world and god designed it to be that way so let's look more closely and see what we can learn about this final judgment and the assurance we have not of escaping hardships in this life, but about being supported in them and being delivered ultimately out of them. And if it's in this life only that we have hope for Christ and we're to be a people most pitied. So we started in 16.1, and I heard a loud voice from the temple. And the word loud in Greek is just, it's at the first part, it's the loud, that's the main word, it's a loud voice. It's not just a loud voice, it's a loud voice. Coming from the temple. And the temple is the place where God has manifested his presence by his spirit. This is where God, we built the temple in the Old Testament. That's where he displays himself. The temple in the New Testament is the church. We are the temple of God. Now you could look at that and say, okay, so the voice is coming out of the church. No, that's not how Revelation is working. Revelation is wanting you to think of there's a temple in heaven. And that's where we're going because there's a temple on earth. And the church is the temple of God, but there's also the heavens, which are a temple as well, because that is the dwelling place of God. And coming out of this temple is a loud voice. This is God himself. He is the one that is exacting the judgment. Now, this is important so that we know about the character and holiness of God. He's not going, you know, I really, I don't, I hate this judgment stuff. I'm going to go over here for a little while, and I got these bad demons, and coming up next is going to be the evil demons. And he just kind of goes and hides, and it's just like the idea that the sinner punishes himself in hell, that God would never, never pour out his wrath and punish people in hell. It's like, yeah, he would. <laughs> he does. He is. He will. He poured out his wrath on his son. His son didn't pour his own wrath on himself. The father poured his wrath on the son. And he drank that cup full for his people. So that as believers we would never experience the wrath of God poured out on us. Ever. Because the father took that. 
So if you're telling non-believers they'll never have to deal with that, then you're saying you're never going to have to deal with something that Jesus Christ dealt with for them. If they would turn to him. And here he is with a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go pour out on the earth. Some translations can say into the earth, the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. In other words, these are not the sealed. These are not the, the Christians. So this is something that's going to happen, and it doesn't happen to any Christians at all. It's just the non-believer. So I suppose if you're a person that's teaching about the rapture and the church is going to be taken out, then this must be one of those pre-trib rapture things where the this is all happening and there's no Christians around, but, but we're clearly here, but this isn't touching us. And the reason is, this is spiritual stuff, this is spiritual judgment. And look what's happening. The whole earth, these are people who are what? They're marked. And what do they get? They get a mark from God. They get sores. They get judgment. So they may have received the mark of the beast. Why did they do it? So they could buy, sell, and trade. So they could have security. So that they could do whatever it takes to, to maintain their current level of prosperity or whatever it is they're trying to do, whatever they're trying to achieve. But what God says is judgment will be fair. And these people are after the church. These people are seeking at times to persecute the church. And he says, but be aware that they have a mark on them from Satan, but they will receive even worse than that from God. And then the second angel pours out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. Well, that's pretty nasty if you think about it. It's not just blood. It's a dead man's blood. All, I'm glad we've already eaten today. That's one thing about doing it at 2 o'clock. All coagulated and clumpy and stinking and nasty. It's just nasty. That's just, you know. And stay in that part for too long. But the whole sea turns into that. And every living thing died that was in the sea. I reckon it did. And it's just like, but this is like, you know, the water, the Red Sea turning into blood in Egypt. And it's just, um, it's judgment. People depend on the sea for food. It's kind of the life of the planet in some ways. They depend on the earth for commerce. And, you know, these things that God has put for good, it's like he's turning it to blood like a dead man. It's like this is judgment on People. And the third angel pours out his bowl in the rivers and springs of water. Now, this is clean water. And all of these bowls are exactly the same as the trumpets as far as the sea and the, 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 the water. If you go back and look at the trumpets, it's the same thing. Except now what you get is this total judgment. So it's clear, clean water, fresh water. And that's what you, you drink, and you get fish from that too, and that you can eat from that and travel upon it, and it became blood. So all these things that are there for the good of man is being, even those things are being turned into judgments. And we read that in Scripture. It's like God does good things to man, and all they do is don't give him glory. And those good things even become bad things ultimately. And I heard an angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One. So he's saying that these judgments, as awful as they seem, he's like, this is right. This is what they deserve, and you are holy who is and who was. If you know your revelation pretty well, you see something's missing, and who is to come. We see that earlier in the book of Revelation, and now you don't see that, because he has come. 
He is here. And not like when Jesus came the first time. This is when he returns in great wrath. For you brought these judgments. Why? Why are you judging these people like that? They didn't do anything wrong. He says, no. They shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard from the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And so whenever we see this altar, it always takes us back to Revelation 6. So go back to Revelation chapter 6 and look at verse 9. Verses 9 and 10. Revelation 6, verses 9 and 10. This fifth seal is being opened. And I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So this bold judgment is the outworking of their prayer for God to avenge them. And he's saying, that's what I'm doing. And from the altar we hear, yes, and these things are true and good and just. In verse 8, the fourth angel pours out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. So you've got the sun, which is a good thing, too. It, um, you know what it's like to be scorched a little bit. But this is like the thing that gives life to all things and light and heat and warmth. And now it's being turned against them. All again, these things God has put here on this earth for good is being turned against those who are against him. And it was allowed to scorch people with fire, and they were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. And that's key to what's happening, that whenever these things are happening in the world as judgments, the non-believers are going to see these things and just get hardened by them. And as believers, we have to be careful that that's not our response, that we aren't hardened by things we see. Because these things are not judgments on us. These things happen and all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It does not mean things are easy. Psalm 119.71 says, It was good for me that I was afflicted. So we don't use that word a whole lot anymore. It was good for me that bad things happened to me. It was good for me, the psalmist is saying, that I had these trials and troubles. Whatever he might be talking about, it's good for me that it happened. And, and so why? And he says, that I might learn your statutes. That I might be driven into your word. That I might learn a little bit more about you. Because that's what happens. These hard things happen, and that makes you dig deeper into God. Because a lot of things you believe to be true... And then something happens to shake that, and suddenly you're like, my foundations have been shaken. And sometimes it's like, good, you had bad foundations. You had a misunderstanding about who God was. You're about to learn something greater about who God is. But I don't want to go through hard things to learn more about God. Then what do you love, comfort more than God? I mean, I don't want to stand up here and pray God and send bad things into my life so I can know more about you. But, you know, you kind of... 
don't ask for bad things to happen. I mean, they're going to happen enough without you asking for it. But when they do come and they knock you down and they throw you over, remember, you're on a rock, though. You, you get back up. He grabs your hand. You're not totally abandoned and forsaken. Paul talks a lot about this. I'm down. I'm not pressed. I'm, you know, what is it? I'm, I'm beaten, but I'm not completely killed. You know, I have, I, you know, there's, I rise again. I just remember Dr. Kara talking about that verse, and he says, like, the Rocky movies. I know, nobody hardly even watches it. Well, no, there's 80 of them. You've seen some of them. So it's Rocky Moose always saying that. It's like something happened, he's just down. Can't go down no more. And even it's like every, it's like the sun started to go down. You know, the shades are kind of drawn. Everything's down. And then all of a sudden something kind of happens. There's a little bit of light. And a little bit. And then you hear. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, it comes, it comes, and he rises again, and he gets back up, and he's pushing through it, and he, he, he does it. And Dr. Carroll was like, that's the believer. You've got to know that there are times when you're down, and there's times when the music's a coming. He didn't talk like that. He's a Yankee. There's music a coming. <laughs> you just can't hear it yet. And sometimes it's not until after our death, possibly. But the sun rises, the ice melts, the... There's good that comes out of even the most difficult things that we go through. And it doesn't mean those things are good. It just means in God's hands, all things are working together in some way, a beautiful tapestry, so that these things are, are good for the believer. But the non-believer goes through these things, and they don't repent. They don't give them glory. They just harden and entrench. In verse 10, the fifth angel pours out his bowl. Well, we're not going there. But let's read it as long as we're here. Uh, the fifth angel poured his bowl out on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness, and people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. So we'll look at that more, too. Same thing, though. It's just this idea of this entrenchment. Um, so let's look at a couple places real quick. Look at uh, Romans chapter 5. And I think if you aren't careful to stay anchored in the New Testament gospel messages, that you're able to take the book of Revelation and start doing some weird things with it because you're divorcing it from itself. And you, and you had to be careful with that. So look <clears> at <throat> Revelation um, 5, just verses 3 through 5. Um, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. This is the believer, not the non-believer. Uh, and how many of you are rejoicing in your sufferings? You know, I mean, maybe there's, you got to be good. I mean, I know people. I have known people in my life that were, I mean, typically older people that are just amazing saints of God. I was one lady, she's in a nursing home. She had this jacket thing, what you call it, a brace around her chest. Um, she apparently was there because, I mean, if the rumors are true, her best friend was telling me actually that the reason she's there, she had tons of money and she was in one of the worst places. And it's like, why is she in this place? It's like, well, because one of her family members took all her money and is out, you know, being the prodigal son out there just spending it like crazy and she's stuck in this place. And it's like, man, it just makes sense. She's the sweetest woman. And, but never said a bad thing, never always praying. I've got a picture she gave me after she died. She said, please, you know, well, before she died, I assume, she said, give this to John when I die. And she Because I said something about it one time. I said, oh, that's interesting. And so be careful what things you say are interesting. And so I got that. And, um, and it's a beautiful reminder of her. But she would write cards to people. You know, it just... You see somebody suffering, and they turn it to praise, 
And, and Johnny Erickson taught us a good example of these types of things. And, but it, and it can just make us feel very guilty about how bad we are. And it's like, good. But at the same time, cheer up. You're worse than you think you are. And God's grace is greater than you think. But there's a lot of you who are a lot better than you think you are, too. And you survived a lot and you get through a lot. Give yourself some credit for the things you've survived and the way that you have gotten through it. And don't ever think that it's a shame or a sin not to be able to get through it on your own, that you need help, that you need people to support and come along beside you. This is not, is not good for man to be alone. <laughs> you need people as well, but they need to be Christian people who are also surrounding you with the Holy Spirit. So, <clears throat> um, verse 3, Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing... That suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That's cool. That's what we got going for us. Not the non-believer. They're just sitting over there cursing God and all that stuff. I mean, there's some non-believers that get through things better than others, and they figured out ways to work it out and things like that. But in their hearts, when it comes down to it, to give their lives to God and to give praise to God and to acknowledge these things. There's a hardness that's going to betray itself at some point. And so we have to be careful that in our lives we don't ever think we're better than everybody else because we're believers and they're not. But we do cling to the hope that when suffering happens, we can rejoice. And then go to Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, obviously in the middle of a little paragraph here, but these other people didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, an impure mind, to do things that ought not to be done. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Don't do that. <clears throat> Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, everyone of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Now, this is interesting to me. This is not what we see happening in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, there's bowls, pores, sores, there's blood. And right here he says what's happening is you're presuming on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. And see, it's the same thing. For the non-believer, these are bowls of wrath. Because what are they doing? This is, meant, this is God's kindness. This is meant to lead you to repentance. Even the kindnesses of God are going to be heaped upon their heads in the day of judgment. Look at all the things God did. He gave you the sun. He gave you the water. He gave you the sea. And for you, it was just blood and nastiness and death because you couldn't see God and seek to reach to him and know who you were created by. Verse 5, because of your hard and impenitent heart, 
You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now we see the bowls. He will render to each one according to their works. To those who by patience in well-doing for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also for the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. And then there's just two more quick places. Let me go to 1 Peter chapter 1. So 1 Peter is back closer to Revelation. 1 Peter chapter 1. Just going to read verses um, 3 through 9 right here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for, for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The complete different response of the believer in trials than a non-believer. And then finally, 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you find all the little letters of Paul and the T's are all stuck there together and everything's in alphabetical order, so you have um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses, beginning of verse 10. <clears throat> you, however, speaking in the godless in the last days and now the believer. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. <coughs> and then you go to verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from you, whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And this begins by saying, you, however, have followed my teaching. And so I want to close with, as we're looking at this, is because a lot of this is really about who you're following. You know, are you following the beast and worshiping his image and doing these things, or are you following Jesus Christ? Because a follower of Jesus Christ, it says, will not be deceived ultimately. So that if you're following Christ, what does it mean to follow Christ? And I was watching, um, there's a thing, Pluto TV, it's a free internet TV, I don't know if you've seen that, but there's these little different little 
TV shows that can come on there. One of them is um, Phil Robertson's I Am Unashamed. I don't know if you've seen that or not, if you watch, but it's just, it's the Duck Dynasty guys, and they're sitting around, and they got the Bible open, and they're reading the Bible, and they're talking about things, and sometimes it's boring, and sometimes it's interesting, and sometimes it's like, oh, I don't agree with that, and sometimes it's wonderful. It's weird. I just watch it in the background sometimes, when it's, you know, just, just too quiet in the house or something. Um, but he said this, Jace, the younger guy, he's the one with the beard. He said, um, I'm on Facebook and I have many followers, but they don't follow very far. And I thought, man, that's good. I like that. That's what he's talking about following Christ. So I thought, you know, I've got, I have people to follow me. I follow people. On, I might follow you on Facebook, but I don't follow people very far. And he's just like, you're following Christ like that. You know, you're following him like, did you accept Jesus' friend request? You know, or did you like his page? And now I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christian because I, I like his page. It's like, that's not what it means. It means follow him. He says, take up your cross and follow me. There's going to be things in your life that are going to be deadly to you. There are things in your life that you're going to have to your purpose. Your you got to take it up and follow me. Follow, 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 follow. That means you're a, you're a Christ follower. Do you design your life off of how Jesus Christ says to design your life? Do you follow him so closely that even when you end up in a deception, that you're still following him, though, so you even are able to navigate yourself through the valley of shadow of death because you know he's with you and you're able to get out, and there you are eventually because his hand is there with you and he pulls you and guides you out. A lamp to your feet and a light to your path, or vice versa. I always get those two confused, but he's there. Are you following him? When you come to the Lord's table, you're saying, I commit my life completely to you because you committed your life completely to me. And by your spirit, you connect me to yourself and I will follow wherever you go. I will follow. Will you, do you truly, truly follow Christ or are you just one of his cliques and you show up for this? You had to follow him. And when you stray, the church's job is to track you down <laughs> and lovingly try to pull you back. And that's why we joined the church, so that we can help one another, encourage one another, commit ourselves to one another, our lives. What's that saying? And property, was that thing? Some cool military saying, our lives and our destinies or something like that to one another. That's what we're called to do through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, you've given yourself to us. We see your judgments around us. We see difficulties. We experience trials and sufferings. Help us to learn what it means to be able to say in a real way. We count it all joy. Not that we're happy and, and chipper in the middle of trials, but that we know ultimately even the most difficult things we go through as believers in this life will not be wasted and they're not your wrath being poured out on us. Help us to love you. Help us to love the world. Help us to be able to be a, a, a trumpeters to the world, to call them out, to be able to see you and follow you. Follow closely you in all things and all ways. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.